0: Welcome to Trib Talk. I'm Jennifer Napier-Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. Mm. My guest today is many things, including brash, irreverent, and a master of stinging sound bites. But there's one thing he can no longer claim, and that's serving as chair of the Utah Democratic Party. State Senator Jim DeBacchus made a surprise announcement this week that he's leaving as party chair. And the outspoken senator is here with us today to to talk about that decision and to get his take on party politics of today and tomorrow. And Senator Jim is here in the newsroom. Senator, great to have you back. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh,
1: i got nothing to say, Jennifer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's going to be a long 30 minutes then. Um, <laughs> let's invite our, our, our watchers to join us as well. How would you assess Debacchus on as, uh, his performance as party leader as well as a personality? And you can send your thoughts to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+. You can also put them in the comments uh, section right here at sltrib.com. Or you can text us and the number is 801 609 Eight zero five nine, uh, Senator. For the past uh, year plus, you've worn two hats: one as senator, and one as party leader. Uh, when it came down to, to making the choice between the two, why did you decide to stick with the Senate?
1: Well, I've had a, a few health problems, and it became clear that I needed to give up one job. And frankly the party chair is 24 hours a day it is a war room now we're moving into the election it's always begging for money it's it's managing a staff of 14 people it is a full-time job plus then with with uh, with pressure being a senator frankly you know there's 28 of us it's like old southern gentlemen and ladies and it's genteel with you know, with tequilas sitting around, then the last few days it kind of hypes up a little bit, but being a senator is kind of a cool, calm, reason job, and uh, that the war room kind of uh, was something, it it was time to move on and allow somebody else, hopefully smarter, younger, and more energetic than I am to uh, come and take over for me.
0: How hard was it to do both, to be both uh, a party spokesman and the person out front on all of those political platform issues, and then also to be the statesman, the lawmaker, the policy negotiator? How how difficult was it to, to balance those two duties? No,
1: I didn't have that much of a problem. I mean, the, the biggest constraint probably came because, uh, with me being more concealed than I than I am. You know when you're the party chair you have to worry about the people in Carbon County uh, so my, my first meeting as a party chair I, I, I was out in Carbon County and uh, from the back of the room a lady came, uh, stood up and said I've got a question for you, you guy from the avenues, you liberal guy from the avenues. She said you see this and she had a piece of coal in her hand She said, this is our past, this is our present, this is our future, this is where we survive. This is our retirement, this is how we built our schools, and this is the reason we're not one of those many ghost towns that you passed in driving from the avenues of Salt Lake to here. So when you start talking about coal, you better keep your mouth shut or say good things. Well there was and so as you look at Democrats all around the state and you're trying to represent all Democrats and make them competitive locally there is a tendency to sometimes bite your lip and people might not believe it but I was biting my lip a lot through the last uh, three years as party chair over what I really believe
0: really yeah (laughs) Because of the political ramifications it would have had.
1: Well, you know, it's it's just you don't want to you don't want to say things in um, in rural Utah that are going to hurt the candidates from rural Utah. That is, when you go to Canyonlands and your soul says this has to be protected, there needs to be a greater Canyonlands. We should not be drilling in every. Mm -hmm. square inch. And you look at the Democrats who are down there, you look them in the eye and and they say we need this and we need these jobs and we're never going to get elected with you bloviating about protecting every bit of this. So from that perspective I've I've felt a little bit of self-censorship but um, I'm not going to have that anymore, I can really say what I like because I'm representing people that I have a pretty good commonality with, the people of the 2nd District which is Salt Lake City.
0: Well, we're going to have a lot of fun as reporters now that you're unleashed. Uh, you you mentioned um, that you're stepping down because of some health issues and you have not disclosed the reason. Uh, it's my job to ask why. What can you tell us about your health? Well,
1: I um, I, I, I had some issues during the session and then uh, some tests and then some results and uh, this week I had, uh, let's see what is today, I guess last week this week I had some some more tests and I, I don't I want to see exactly where I am and and uh, figure out where things are before I start talking about um, my health situation so that's, that's kind of what I've been saying
0: well, the reason I, I press you on it is not my own morbid curiosity, but because you've been so open about her, your personal life, your family life, um, and because you're running for public office again, what, how, how are you explaining um, the health issues to, to the voters uh, and and um, assuring them that you'll be physically well enough to serve another term?
1: Well, so, so far no voters have asked me, but if they do I'm gonna say look, give me, a, give me at least let me get my test results back um, before I go into uh, my health issues and uh, and I suspect that once once I know what the full extent of any problems are that you know voters have a right to know uh, if their candidate is gonna make it through the next week or through the next election or through the term of office or if they're gonna be um, as, as one uh, good emailer told me, you're already m- completely mentally incapacitated, and I can't imagine you're going to be uh, any worse than you've been, so you might as well run. So there, there is a full range there. And when the moment comes, and I have all the information, but it, it, would, it just doesn't seem right to say, well, we don't quite know what it is, but here's what we're talking about. Well, when I know finally what the situation is, I'll, I'll be happy to speak about it.
0: Okay. I hope you'll keep us in the loop. We're talking politics with State Senator Jim DeBac- debaccus who announced this week that he's stepping down as State Chair of the Utah Democratic Party. And you're welcome to join us. Um, the hashtag is #tribtalk on Twitter and Google+. You can put your comment section uh, comments in the section right below the story at sltrib.com, or you can text us, and that number is 801-609-8059. Um, I'll get a tweet from Scott Beck, Jim's ability as the State Dem Chair to reach out and engage with the LDS Church hierarchy was very positive for our state. Um, you're no longer a practicing member of the LDS Church, but you're not an antagonist either. You've made a point of, of trying to draw Mormons into the Democratic tent. Uh, do, do you feel like you've made some, some headway in that goal?
1: Well, it's interesting. Uh, right after I made my little announcement uh, Monday, I got a call from a, a church uh, official who said, I find it very interesting and ironic that it is a gay guy who's, who made this communication between the Democrats and the LDS church, mm-hmm. and it had been part of a much broader plan that started in, uh, in 2009, post Prop 8, where um, I had been able to sit down on LGBT issues with the church and then the, the party work continued after that. So I'm proud of that. I'm disappointed though that a lot of the discussions we've had have been on a a, a high-level church issue and it never and it hasn't enough penetrated into wardhouses ward houses in West Jordan and in Sandy and in North Salt Lake so that there is a, there's a great communication and a great um, dialogue, um, I think, on on the church-wide level. But I, I don't think it's penetrated enough into the rank and file uh, of LDS wards that really Democrats are the party of the ideals of a lot, you get away from the ideology um, and you get to the practical reality if you ask most LDS people blindly what do you think about health care, uh, what do you think about the poor, what do you think about protecting the stewardship of our our lands, what do you think about uh, education, as you take those issues exclusive of ideology and party labels the scores are off the chart for where Democrats are, Utah Democrats, as opposed to Republicans. But there is this identity that has been created. It's almost knee-jerk between uh, the 14th article of faith, Thou Shalt Be a Republican, and uh, that it, that's a difficult thing to get down into the bowels of, of uh, wards and, and, uh, around Utah.
0: Well I mean, what would it take to break through that, that identity?
1: Well, it would take a, it, one of the things that we worked with it, it, that it would take is a great LDS uh, candidate. Uh, we came very close uh, to getting uh, Marlon Jensen to run. Uh, he had just retired as LDS church historian, a tremendous, um, moderate and reasonable man who would have been able to bring the message of, um, of Utah Democrats, which are not you know, Washington, everybody agrees, everybody in Utah agrees, Washington is a a dump. It's just horrible. And Utah Democrats actually have the solution to what's going on in Washington, which is sitting down, rolling up our sleeves, talking, communicating, and coming up with compromise and solutions. That's what Utah Democrats are good at. Uh, Utah Republicans are part of the Tea Party ideology that, that isn't part of solving the problem, so a great LDS uh, leader like a Marlin Jensen that would be on the top of our ticket or, or allow LDS people to actually open the door and have a a clear look at the practicality and the good that would come in having a state that had a two-party system would be a wonderful thing for Utah.
0: How do you actually get Democrats on the ballot, though? I, I think it's uh, 12 of 89 of the legislative seats that are up for grabs won't even have a Democrat uh, running in that race. I mean, why is it so hard on the recruitment side to get somebody to put that D behind their name?
1: Well, the, the fact is that due to redistricting, over since 1980, you can watch what happens. Um, it, it, this is a very, and I will only give one statistic, I think, during this half hour we have together. but Utah Democrats in the legislature get almost 39% of the votes. 39, 38.7% of the votes but we only get 19% of the seats. That is an astonishing fact! Vladimir Putin or uh, the Venezuelans would be pleased with that. It is such a serious manipulation of our electoral system, primarily through gerrymandering, that it has managed to completely destroy Utahns from participating, both Republicans and Democrats, in our electoral system. Imagine that. 39% of the votes and 19% of the seats. It means Democrats say, why should I bother? I'm not going to get elected. And Republicans say, why should I bother? We're going to win anyway. So that gerrymandering, it happened in 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, that has had a debilitating effect on our whole process. It is the most serious single issue that um, has created this one-party system where you get guys, we knew what was happening with John Swallow, we knew of the muck, the Republicans certainly knew, but they decided he's one of ours, he's in our tribe, we're gonna protect him, and they let him get nominated and elected. There are a lot of areas where this tribal republicanism kicks in in the state level and things go on that ought not to because of a one-party system. If it was all democrats, we'd probably be facing the same thing. It's unhealthy.
0: Hmm. Speaking with State Senator Jim Debacus, and if you'd like to join us, you can send your thoughts to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter. You can also put uh, your comments here at sltrib.com, or you can tweet us, uh, uh, or text us, excuse me, 801-609-8059. Um, a few comments skier Jim Seven, Jim I hope you'll continue to lampoon the hypocrisy that pervades the Utah GOP you have a unique way of summing them up in a few short sentences keep fighting the good fight. Uh, You you do have a reputation for for colorful sort of in-your-face rhetoric Um, do you have a a favorite political zinger?
1: Um, Well during the last legislative session there um there was a debate about um, having couples the length and the number of courses that couples would have to have in Utah before getting a divorce, so divorce counseling, so you couldn't just go in and get a divorce, you had to go through this couple's counseling and then after that you could file. And so I asked um, the senator who was the sponsor of the bill, well, does this apply to Stephen and I? were married during the window because I wasn't sure. Um, I don't really I don't really keep track of them or think of them as as zingers. they just are things that, that pop out. sometimes they don't work sometimes they do. It's just my kind of, I'm a wise guy <laughs> uh, so it just happens. but I, I'll tell you the great surprise of being a couple of years in the Senate, a lot of the people that I thought I wouldn't like for sure, I really, really like. I've, I've, I've come to really appreciate uh, the hard work of a lot of Senators, particularly the rural Senators. They took the guy from the Avenues. They took the guy whose district includes the University of Utah. They took the guy who is the most urban, has the most urban district anywhere, and they put him on natural resources and agriculture and anything to do with wild animals and those were my committees no doubt with a big smile on their face and frankly I just went and I have grown tremendously fond of rural Utah and of particularly those rural senators who seem really down to earth and practical on a lot of levels although they're crazy conservative. Um, I have a great deal of respect for them so from that point of view I never, you will never and you have never heard me say one bad word about an individual senator um, the governor's fair game but um, not senators. I, I have great respect for them and even house members. Occasionally I can't hold myself back but but I, I've i come to really respect uh, the members of the Senate. Mm. Uh,
0: you mentioned your, your longtime partner Stephen who you did marry during that short period of time when gay marriage was legal in the state. Um, LGBT rights, very personal for you and you helped orchestrate uh, a meeting uh, from members of that community to come up onto Capitol Hill during the session, and, and just tell their stories. Uh, I'm wondering if you can just reflect on what that that meeting meant to you and to others in the gay community.
1: Well, the legislature, um, in the in a supreme act of arrogance, I might say, um, mm-hmm. refused to allow even a hearing, not on gay marriage, but on non-discrimination in housing and employment. This is an area that the LDS Church has spoken out for, Mm -hmm. the Chamber of Commerce. 73%, according to a Jane Jones poll, of Utahns, are against discrimination. So here we have almost unanimity. The legislature refused to even have a hearing to discuss Republican, conservative, LDS from St. George, Stephen Urquhart's bill, that would have allowed, uh, or had statewide non-discrimination. They wouldn't let it out of committee. Wouldn't let a hearing. So we decided to have our own hearing, and we put a special emphasis on uh, transgender Utah's. And we took 12, they went up to a PAC hearing room, and I saw strong Republicans who came into that hearing room with a certain air that probably I have when we're dealing with people whose ideas we may not agree with and I watched their posture change as one after another Utahns talked about discrimination and about their lives and about their families and about uh, their particular situations and I saw these these senators and these House members who really were meeting Gay people really, for the first time, and meeting their families and meeting uh, transgender Utah's and I saw them slump down and cover their face as they got emotional. It was for me truly the highlight of the legislative season, and I hope we, I hope we're at the point where we can get a non-discrimination bill passed uh, in the next session.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, here's some more comments. Uh, trapped in Zion. Good health, Jim. You made a difference. Um, Lucky Jonas writes, uh, past LGBT issues, what are Senator DeBacchus's core issues that he wants to work on? Um, What's left to do, Jim?
1: I worked, um, I
0: I tried to
1: not make LGBT issues my primary focus. I was always there, but I thought just being a senator, standing there on the floor, making the occasional wisecrack, um, was where where I needed to be. but I'm very interested in clean air. I'm very interested in protecting the stewardship of of our gift of land to many future generations. I see this ideological move of drill it, pump it, build a strip mall, develop it, get something up on every block of land and I keep thinking about a 500 years from now when this most beautiful, have you been to the southern part of the state? Have you seen yes. this astonishing, amazing gift that we have? And I just get the sense that there are some in our legislature that see this as a, a dollar sign and think Ayn Rand is going to come out, come out and, and condemn them for not drilling and getting potash and getting every dime out of this land when clearly the long-term interest will be in protecting it and preserving for many generations to come this unique place on the entire planet. That's really a passion for me.
0: Uh, Following up on that, Colleen Bliss uh, says on Twitter, what can we do to improve our air quality? Uh, I guess she wants a little more specifics. What do you think?
1: You know, frankly, let me be blunt, elect more Democrats. I mean, the the Republicans are very good in kind of mock bills. They got the message when thousands of people were there, 5,000 by some accounts, screaming, we can't breathe. But they came up with kind of phony solutions. You know, the the minimum state the the maximum state regulations for clean air is the minimum federal one. The truth is Utah has a lot of special unique circumstances particularly along the Wasatch Front. We need standards that are different than the lowest federal standards and there was a bill to do that. It came within one vote of passing in the Senate and then uh, it got after some long torturous negotiations it got to a Senate committee where it was about to pass when the Utah Manufacturers Association and the Utah Petroleum Association and the Utah Farm Bureau substituted awful language which would have basically left the status quo and they expected me to vote for it and I said you know I'm not going to vote for this pretend bill this just leaves it basically where we are you guys want to all fist pump and say yeah we did something when you did nothing. So on Stericycle, on so many issues, we have to get Democrats in there and we've got to hold Republicans to the fire for real changes, not just cosmetic changes, so we can all hold hands and say, oh yeah, we did something wonderful about clean air, when actually we didn't do anything. This session we did do a few things and we ought to take credit for that, but in the big picture, not so much.
0: Uh, Here's a comment from Christopher Stout. He says, I appreciate the work you've done as chairman. However, I feel that your voice as senator and champion of progressive causes will be much louder when you aren't serving in that capacity. Uh, Who's going to fill the shoes? at the party headquarters. Um, And how was this person selected? Can you just give me the process quickly?
1: Yeah, there will be, uh, people will announce that they're going to be a candidate, and then our convention coming up in a month or so, the delegates will pick uh, the new chair. It's a tough job, and I would just say that the criteria for selecting a chair, in my mind, first three things, and Democrats hate hearing this. They hate it criteria is raising money raising money raising money you know we we went from a budget of about three hundred and twenty thousand dollars to over a million dollars we've gone from a staff of three to fourteen full-time people and that takes money and it means if you can't sit there and you can't ask people for five ten fifteen twenty thousand dollars if you can't keep reminding yourself that in order to do all the good things you uh, think need to be done with the Democratic Party, you've got to be able to raise money. And Democrats all too often are, oh, let's just keep the people happy. You better be able to raise money, and you also need. So who can
0: money. do that, Senator? Who, who, who's, who's your pick? Who do you think can actually do that?
1: I'm not going to make a pick, um, but I hope that we'll give us find a short list. I don't even know the short list. You know, this is Monday, I left, and um, maybe in a week or so there'll be a short list, but I'm saying we're going to need somebody that can raise money. You also have a staff of 14 people. I also think that it's a mistake to hire a lobbyist. How can you be a chairman and also be up at the legislature lobbying? I mean, one of the abilities that a chair needs to have is to go up there and when they're creating those uh, gerrymandered districts behind closed doors you need to be pounding on that door saying let us in and when they're making bad choices you have to have the ability to speak out and if you're a lobbyist and those same people that you need to speak out against are the are the chairman of those committees and they're important people I think you cannot do both of those jobs so I think it's very very it's impossible to be a lobbyist in a party chair although uh, people like that because it it adds their uh, an additional title to make their lobbying voice stronger so I hope the party will keep that in mind as well
0: Hmm. Uh, Here's a tweet from DI Lewis listening Uh, and now I'm sad Uh, Jim DeBacchus wasn't able to get Marlon Jensen to run Uh, this also on on Twitter Blue Jedi says uh, with Jim Matheson leaving Congress do you see any up-and-coming next-generation Democrats in Utah running for a House seat?
1: We have some uh, extraordinary people, some young people that are uh, out and about that that we hope to n- nurture through the process. You know, uh, Jim Jim made waves with Democrats uh, and and had a difficult mm-hmm. situation. Can you imagine? We look at. At House seats, and Washington looks at House seats as a kind of plus or a minus. So you may be a plus six or a plus eight. That puts you borderline competitive. Jim's seat was a plus 18 for the Republicans. By far the most red seat held by a Democrat in the whole country. So when Jim made votes that were uncomfortable for Democrats, very uncomfortable sometimes he was doing it because he was thinking about utah but also that's what he needed to do to survive but what happens when if jim leaves jim was able to bring in two three four million dollars into that fourth district this is money that he could raise in washington it was money that would help us with get out the vote it was money that would help us to identify who democrats are and on election day when thousands of democrats are called with that pile of money they didn't just come out those democrats and vote for jim they voted for all the other democrats along down the line if we lose that seat we also lose the ability in a lot of cases to be competitive in a lot of seats when jim was over on the east side for that uh, ten years or eight years when he was over there we brought along a lot of Democrats that came along in legislative races. And as he was moving over to the west side, we did as well as we did last time because of that. So the broader picture in the nuts and bolts of politics is it's more than just one vote in one seat. Having Jim there as a Democrat and making sure Luce gets very competitive in a run against that, uh, what is ever that? that nondescript guy who's in the 2nd Congressional District. Representative Stewart. Oh, yeah, 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 Stewart. Has anybody ever seen him? Know what he looks like? Has he ever done anything? Well, he's
0: been on this show.
1: Oh, has he? Well, yes, he has. go. So he has done something. Um, it's really important that Democrats work hard to keep that voice in Washington for many, many reasons.
0: Hmm. Uh, do you think that Doug Owens, the challenger to Mia Love, is going to give her a race because the, the general assumption is that she's already won.
1: You know, Mia is frankly, um, has been handed the, the seat. Usually when candidates go to Washington, they fight, they kick, they scream, they bite to get time with uh, Republican leadership. The, the doors are rolled out for Mia Love. Nationally, they want Mia Love and she comes back with briefcases full of cash. She has uh, she has been not the hardest worker during her campaigns. She has a bit of an attitude of entitlement because she uh, hasn't had to work as hard as some other candidates. She uh, can blow up because the right car wasn't set. And I think in a lot of cases, as people begin to realize, That Mia Love is much more playing, almost like American Idol, uh, a run for Congress, more than actually working and understanding the issues and representing uh, the people of that 4th District. I think there's a good chance that a substantive uh, guy like uh, Doug, who went to Yale Law School, who has lived his whole life in this state, understands the values of the people of the 4th District. I think Jim might well come out uh, and surprise a lot of people and win that seat. He, he really is a, is a great candidate.
0: Our our time is just about up, but uh, I asked a a lot of political experts, people who watch politics, uh, to assess your performance as chair of the Democratic Party. One of them gave you an A-, one gave you an A, Uh, the other two were very favorable, didn't put a grade on it. But I'm just curious how you feel about your tenure um, in in terms of advocacy and fundraising, and um, as someone who gets Democrats elected, how'd you do?
1: I got a solid C um, you know the 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 whatever success I did have and I'm, I'm not being humble here it, it came down to hiring Matt Lyon as the executive director and having him put together a team of extraordinary people uh, I mean and their kids I mean they they're all under 30 and they just transformed our Democratic Party so that staff of people, a wonderful executive committee, great county chairs, really, I was, I wish I would have done more, uh, but it was three years of a sprint, and um, I'm, I'm glad to be at the finish line, and I hope that, uh, and I know one other thing, and that is I have left a lot of organizations over the years, and they seem to soar as soon as I leave, so I'm, I'm looking for great things from the Democratic Party.
0: Senator DeBackis, thank you so much for your time. Good health to you, and uh, hope to see you again soon.
1: Anytime, Jennifer. Thank you.
0: And lots more political coverage, of course, here on the website, sltrib.com. I'm Jennifer Napier Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks for tuning into Trip Talk today. We'll see you next time.